Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad that you're here this morning. What a perfect alignment of this Family Sunday, which we're doing basically once a quarter on the fifth Sunday of the quarter, okay? Fifth Sunday, the month's with five Sundays. And, uh, and aligned with our Scripture as we've been going through Luke's Gospel and the reading that uh, Abby just read for us there. I want to back up just a little bit and uh, think about this in the beginning of Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 3 and verse 16, John the Baptist says this, he answered them all and he said, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful, I want you to read this as greater than me, then I will come the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Then remember John and the Baptist in John's gospel says it this way, he, meaning Jesus, must become greater, another comparison, I must become less. Now back to Luke's gospel again, I want you to see that there's a little pattern, a theme of talking about greatness in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus then says about John, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And now our text this morning, another discussion about greatness arises. And in fact, there's Luke, there's this one in Luke 9, but then there's also another very direct text later in Luke's gospel in Luke 22. It's really interesting. Hadn't really noticed that before prior to preparing for this this morning. And I wonder, let's read this one again in 46, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Okay, we'll just leave it at that one verse at this point. I wonder if uh, all of this talk of greatness that sort of rattled around among the disciples, particularly after Peter, James, and John were able to witness the transfiguration that we just talked about a couple of weeks ago. And they are enlightened by the brilliant and powerful illumination of Jesus the Christ. And they realized that they were there, and they were not just there on the front row, but they had behind-the-stage access to one of the greatest light shows of all time. And Moses and Elijah, if you're familiar with the term goats, greatest of all time, in their own right, were eclipsed by Jesus as He lit up. Go back and read it again. If you missed that text. 
Should we be surprised then that the disciples, like many before and millions since, took something that was absolutely positive and great and made it about them? So there's somehow this questions all the way through the text, and particularly as it pertains to understanding the nature of the kingdom of God. We might ask a similar question, though, today, who's the goat? It's a dinner, after-dinner question, maybe a party question, surfaces in random conversations. I know that you've had some of these. Is it Tom Brady? Is it Michael Jordan? Is it Serena Williams? What some would say, Wayne Gretzky, but I'm not a hockey fan, so I wouldn't say that. Is someone might say Babe Ruth or Tiger Woods. That's just sports, right? Sorry, Todd, did it again. Men and women in other fields and other lifetimes, maybe would say a George Washington or a Lincoln or a Jefferson or whatever. There's a story of Winston Churchill who had a verbal exchange with one of his servants, and the servant had finally had enough of the way Churchill spoke to him. And so he talked back to Churchill in the same tone that he was being spoken to, and Churchill said to him, who do you think you are talking to me like that? And the servant put his head down, and he said, well, that's the way you talk to me. And Churchill then said, ah, but I am a great man. And I think about quickly and easily the sense of entitlement can find its way into our lives. Now, most of us have figured out that the Bible's definition of greatness is quite different from the cultural definition, and if we've absorbed most of us the Bible passages since we were small, and so we know that pride and posturing and ranking and ratings and bragging do not have a place in the kingdom of God. And that's why we're not big on titles here, and I love that. We don't really endorse a whole lot of self-promotion, positioning here. We just try to be servants. And I'm reminded the passage in Galatians 3 that we're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for all of us have been baptized into Christ, have been clothed with Christ, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. So I have not heard all that many conversations of anybody standing in the lobby out here saying, who is the greatest? At least publicly and audibly, as did the disciples. However, I want to suggest that our struggle with this is every bit as deep and as concerning to the living Christ as it was to Jesus and his disciples but maybe we ask the question in just a little bit different way. Meaning, am I as great as or greater than 
X, Y, Z. Might be more the way we would phrase it. In other words, we either focused on ourselves because we think we are something great, we are focused on ourselves to be better recognized for our greatness because we feel like we're being overlooked or missed out, or we're focused on ourselves because we feel like we're not measuring up. And like the disciples, when we're honest, we're often preoccupied with. How do I rank? How do I rate? How do I compare? And so to answer who will be the goat, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child, the text says, and had him stand beside him. He takes a a child, a boy, to stand beside him, and the word is a little child. Textually, from the narrative, it could easily have been the child that had just been delivered from the evil spirit in the scene before. The boy in this section is at first called a son in verses 38 and 41, and then he is called a boy in verse 42, and here in our text he's called a little child. And I had never made that connection that this very well may be the same one, but it's strikingly fitting. It's one just one big long paragraph in the Greek. He takes this newly healed and delivered child What are we to learn about Jesus intercepting the disciples' conversation and inviting this child? You see, in the ancient context, children were the weakest, the most vulnerable class of people. They had little implicit value as human beings. Many would not survive into adulthood, as is true in many parts of the world today. At least women who were an underclass were useful in bearing children, but kids, they were the lowest status of all. Now listen to this. Little it's been reshaped just a bit by the time of the first century and by the, by the Judeo, by the Jewish uh, reworkings of the, of the value of human beings made in the image of God. But I want, you to, I want you to hear this. The ancient world and their thought process, Plato, thought that children, in order to be worth rearing, must be malleable, disposed to virtue, and physically fit. If they did not prove themselves worthy, parents would properly dispose of them in secret so that no one would know what had become of them. Aristotle, he certainly knew better, didn't he? Well, he thought defective children should be discarded in rubbish heaps abandoned on hillsides, and thrown down wells, and thrown into rivers. He thought that we should have a law that no deformed child should be reared. 
I want you to hear this because we almost cannot appreciate how our understanding of children has been shaped and reshaped by the values of the Bible and Jesus more specifically. The vast majority of cultures throughout human history have held to the value and the assumption that we are better off without the weak. This can be documented again and again. Survival of the fittest didn't start with Darwin. It was assumed view throughout human history, and Jesus massively changed the world through His teaching. Wesley, would you come up here for a second? Come on up here. I need about three uh, teenagers. Oh, you, Grace, you, I woke you up there. Oh, come on up here. I need Peter, James, and John. Okay, which are you? We've got to have at least one guy up here. Cohen, would you? Oh, I see him looking down. Come on up here. Millie, Millie, come up here. Come up here. All right, you guys will be three, Peter, James, and John. And we've got Wesley, who's actually a pretty good size little one, okay? He's getting, he's getting up there. But I'm trying to think of what in the world is Jesus doing at putting this little child and bringing this child up beside him in the context of Peter, James, and John, and what point is he trying to bring forth? Why did he feel the need to correct their view with this little one? The Amplified Version of the Bible says this. They're doing a great job. Whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, and then here's the parenthesis, because this was added in by the interpreter of this verse, and they said this, that is the one who is genuinely humble, the one with a realistic self-view. And then it says, he is to be the one who is truly great. Now, I'll bet most of us, when we've read a passage about this and the welcoming of little children, have thought about it in terms of humility. Certainly think that is embedded in the text, and there was a certain pridefulness that was going on with these three, and maybe they didn't have a realistic view of themselves anymore after this scene of the transfiguration. Or maybe they, in some way they really didn't even understand what Jesus was trying to do with his teaching of the kingdom of God, and they still thought it was all about power and might and control. But I also believe 
that this interpretation in the Amplified Version tends to be a bit of a conflation of several passages in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And I don't think it's wrong, but I think there's actually something else going on. Thank you. And you all can go down back to your seat. And I want to raise that point as well as we talk about this passage. It starts with this main point of having humility to take a child seriously and to welcome and honor him as you would me, Jesus says. But then he goes on, if you can, then you'll be able to receive me and my Father. And I'm wondering really to get at what Jesus was trying to drive at because of how children were viewed in the first century, if it would have been better off, I would have been, made a stronger point had we brought up someone, say, that was homeless. That we saw with one of those cardboard signs that looked a bit disheveled. You know the ones where you're right there at King's Highway or you're there at, on Manchester Road and, and uh, Kirkwood Road and we, we have all these spots around the city and you wonder, what's going on? And we brought them up. Then how might we have felt? Or a person with severe mental disability or physical deformity or throw in a person that looks very different and just smells different or speaks a different language. In other words, a powerless one. I think this passage is trying to say in another way the nobodies are the greatest. But how does that make sense? Notice the language of the text in verse 48. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And I believe this phrase changes the meaning. There's more going on than simply the comparison of people of different size or different stature or different positions of power or adults versus children or somehow uh, power even versus powerlessness or ranked versus unranked or included versus excluded or pride versus humility. All of those are embedded in this text and yet I think there is even something deep. The focus in the way Jesus says this isn't solely on the child, but on him. Now, he says in verse 48, for whoever it is, for it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Why is this person so great? What would you say to Plato? What would you say to Aristotle? Why is the child so great? 
putting it all together, well, one, the least are the most trusting of the source. Their life is not all self-constructed, but they are needy and learning and dependent on Jesus for value. I'm going to put it this way. Accepting this nobody person is directly related to accepting Jesus himself. And what the child powerfully illustrates is that the disciples are not the point, and quite likely the child is not the point, but the child points to the fact that Jesus is the point. The values of the kingdom of God are the point. Jesus is saying, Peter, James, and John... You've been to the mountaintop and you've seen me and you've heard the Father honor me as the greatest. Now I want you to turn the world upside down with the way you're going to live. So here will be my summary of what he's trying to say to these disciples. Stop constantly comparing your stuff. And devote yourself to conveying that nobodies have great value through me. It's a hard lesson to learn, at least for me. Now, that's on an individual level. And then I was thinking... How do we think about this as a church? You see, I think we so often judge greatness by the wrong criteria. In the wrong areas, and it's a huge problem inside the church, and it's a massive problem for those on the outside looking in. We judge on great worship, on a great next-gen program, on great preaching, on a great nursery, on great friendliness, on a great facility. We do a ruthless comparison game, those inside and those outside, with the churches down the street. I think here's a better comparison, and I'll be finished. How well do you welcome the nobody? I've got it in parentheses. I hope you understand what I'm trying to drive at when I say the nobody. In Jesus' name. How eager to help the hopeless How eager to notice the powerless. How quickly to embrace the weak. How willing to uplift the downtrodden. How willing to find a place for the misfit. 
and to allow the unranked to rank. And you see, the worth of all of these human beings, ourselves included, is not within ourselves. But like the little child, it's in the living God standing beside them. And in their willingness and eagerness to receive Jesus. Church, I believe you know who is the goat. And I want you to invite you to walk with him. Thank you.